0: Welcome to the Valley Bear Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Relationship Goals. People often look at happy images of marriages on social media and say, I want that, but they don't really know what that is. The real secret to a great marriage goes far deeper than just a hashtag. In this four-part series, we'll define four goals that will enable couples to keep their focus on the right path for their marriage. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, welcome again to Valley Brook. We're glad you're here on campus and online. We're in the third week of our series called Relationship Goals, and we've been looking specifically at how we can build strong relationships in marriage. But as I've said all every Sunday, we believe that everything that's coming out of Scripture that we're looking at actually applies to how we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So, we've looked at the relationship goal of having a Christ-centered relationship. We've looked at the relationship goal of being unity-focused, and today we're going to look at this idea of a goal to be temptation-busting. So, let me share with you just a story to begin with. Um, Mark Battison shares this in his book, The Circle Maker, and he says, in May of 2009, Brian and his wife, Christina, were watching the movie Fireproof, It was both a genesis and a revelation for him. It was a revelation because Brian knew that like the main character in the movie, he had an addiction to pornography that was tearing his marriage apart. It was also a genesis because Brian thought about the character Daniel from the book of Daniel and he had resolved to stop defiling himself. Brian and his college sweetheart were married in 1995, but he he continued to look at porn while she was at work. He thought he could stop when their first child was born, but no such luck. Then after watching Fireproof, he prayed that God would help him quit cold turkey. But six weeks later, he failed. A year later, after winning some battles and losing some battles, he gave it all to God, he said. Six weeks later, though, he failed again. And then on June 29, 2010, he actually literally nailed this sin in his life and temptation battle to a cross because he knew Jesus had won the war against sin for all of us on the cross. Pastor Mark Batterson says, the enemy of our souls is known as the accuser of the brethren. And when it comes to men specifically, most of Satan's accusations have to do with sexual sins. For men, the spiritual battle is often won or lost on the battlefield of sexual temptation. And when we lose a battle, the enemy wants us to give up the fight. But we need to remind ourselves Something that actually our enemy also knows. We may lose battles, but God has won the war. So we need to remind ourselves that while the enemy wants to accuse us, we need to stop accusing ourselves and remember that God is fighting for us and God never gives up on us. And then Pastor Mark goes back and he continues the story about Brian and Christina. On October 8, 2010, Brian celebrated 100 days of being free of his addiction to porn. It was the longest period of freedom in a quarter century of his life. And that's the night the men's group at his church formed a circle around him and prayed for the purity of his mind and the strength of his will. He writes, Brian hasn't been the same since. It doesn't mean that uh, there won't be more battles for him to fight, but the war has been won. It means that he can surround himself with people that will encourage him. And because of that, he's actually begun a small group, a life group in his church to help lead other men uh, in a study on purity. And Brian is winning the battle because Christ already won the war. And now he's praying for men that God is bringing into his circle of influence. You know what I love about Brian and his story is that despite his repeated failures, he kept on trying. It didn't matter if he failed after six weeks or after a hundred days or after several tries. Here's what we need to recognize. He kept trying and when you're trying, you're actually not failing. The only way you can truly fail is to quit trying to overcome temptation. If you're still trying, even when you're failing, you're succeeding. God is honored when we don't give up, God is honored when we keep trying. So today we're going to look at this whole idea of trying to, to break temptation from our lives. Beth Moore has written this. She goes, Satan tailors temptations to our tastes. He uses whatever bait will soothe our flesh. Now, let me say that again. It's a tongue twister. Satan tailors temptations to our tastes, and he'll use whatever bait will soothe our hunger. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence. When you read through the Gospels, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see that He is tested by temptation after a 40-day and 40-night fast in the wilderness. Why don't I think it's a coincidence? Because Jesus would have been in a weakened state, and in a weakened state, just about any temptation would be bait tailored for any of us. But because of His hunger, He was more vulnerable. Now, the story begins with this sentence. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I appreciate what Margaret Feinberg says. She says, if you've ever wondered uh, why the story starts off this way, she said, the Holy Spirit's involvement in this ordeal to some people seems peculiar, but we need to remember that in all the other stories in Scripture, the desert, the wilderness, becomes a training ground For spiritual growth. So in the training ground of the wilderness, Jesus was tested. Jesus was tempted when he was very weak. Satan tempts Jesus in three different ways. He tempts him to turn stones to bread through his miraculous power when he's really hungry. But Jesus doesn't fall for that bait. Interesting to note, Jesus never does a miracle in Scripture to benefit Himself. It's always to honor God and to serve people. The next way the devil tempts Jesus is to put God to the test. The devil says, I'm going to take you to the highest point on the temple, and and there I'm going to tell you to jump off and see if God will catch you. Now, obviously, this would put God's plans for Jesus in jeopardy. But again, Jesus does not take the bait of this temptation to test God. And finally, Satan takes Jesus to a mountaintop and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, these can be yours if you'll worship me. I appreciate what one writer, how she explains this. She goes, Satan said, in effect, you can have all of this in exchange for one slight easily excusable act. Worship me just once and you can have it all. We can even imagine the devil saying, it's all right. God will understand you're so weak now. So it's as if Satan is saying, you're going to rule it all anyway. This is just a shortcut, Jesus. Satan implies that through one simple act of false worship, Jesus could avoid the rejection, the suffering, the horrifying death on the cross. And either way, He would achieve the same goal, to be able to rule over all the kingdoms of the world. But we know Jesus didn't fall for that temptation. He didn't fall for that temptation because Jesus was committed to God. But more importantly, not only was he committed to God, but that was the ultimate thing, but he was also aware that if he fell to that temptation, there would be a cost to God's plan. And he did not want to circumvent the will and the plan of God, and so he would not do that. Even though Satan tailored those temptations to Jesus in his weakened state, Jesus refused to take the bait because he knew the cost. Speaking of cost, I like what Lisa Turkhurst writes when she tells a story about taking one of her daughters to the Department of, Miracle- of Voter Vehicles to get her learner's permit. And this is uh, how she tells the story. She goes, knowing that my daughter was entering the scary world of teenage drivers, I was both amazed and delighted when the DMV officer uh, launched into a speech on safe driving. She writes, the officer sternly looked at her daughter and said, we've had about 320 teens killed this year in fatal car accidents, so we want to do everything to keep you safe. Lisa said she went on, um, and the woman highlighted for her daughter all the many new rules that a new driver would have to learn. And she said, what I love the most about the officer's sermonette on safe driving was her emphasis on the cost of making wrong choices, wrong decisions when you're driving a motor vehicle. And then she writes how I wish we could all see the costs of our choices as clearly as a price tag on an item in a store. She says, if I know how much something is going to cost me, I'm going to make wiser choices. But we have an enemy who schemes against us to keep the cost of dumb decisions concealed until it's too late. Satan wants to defeat, discourage, and destroy our families. He attacks, his attacks are not just willy-nilly attempts to trip us up and knock us down. He wants to take us out of believing in and following God. Now, the Apostle Paul understood this. He points out to the church in Corinth that Satan wants to outsmart us, that the devil can tempt us and take us down because we are not even aware of the schemes that he's using against us. Now, after all of this, you probably want to know how you can count the cost, how you can see the schemes that Satan has to tempt you. So that you won't let temptation give birth to becoming a sin. So, we're going to look at how we can be temptation-busting followers of Jesus in all of our relationships, but particularly also in our marriages. So, first, let's talk about this. The first thing that we need to do when it comes to recognizing that we all can be tempted is we need to look for a way out. Years ago, uh, there was a Saturday Night Live skit that was based on a fictional author named Jack Handy. Jack was known for his odd sense of humor, and his segment was entitled, Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. It was so successful in 1996, the cast wrote a book by Jack Handy called Fuzzy Memories. And in that book, he tells this story. He relates how a bully demanded his lunch money every day when he was a child. And because Handy was smaller than the bully, he just simply gave in to the bully and gave him his lunch money. But then he writes, one day I decided to fight back. I decided I was going to start taking karate lessons, but the lessons were $5 each, and that was a lot of money. So, I found it was cheaper to pay the bully, and I gave up karate. You know, the reality is this. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we have the same attitude toward the temptations that come our way. It's easier to pay the bully. In other words, to give in to temptation than it is to learn how to fight Satan's temptations. So this morning, I want us to learn how to fight the temptations that come our way. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that we will all be tempted. We will face temptations. But the Bible also tells us that God will provide a way out. In fact, God's Word gives us an assurance that we can be victorious over temptations that come our way. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read these words. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, He will show you a way out. So that you can endure. That's good news. You know, the reality is we can claim this promise that when we're tempted that God is going to provide a way out. Now, claiming that promise doesn't mean that uh, uh, when you face temptation that God's just going to reach in supernaturally and take it away. Sometimes God will do that, but oftentimes what we need to recognize is that God has already done things in the natural world that show us ways that we can escape temptation, the way out. So, we need to recognize that God will answer this prayer for us supernaturally and naturally. But we have to recognize that God has done what He's done, but then we have to take the next step, all right? The reality is this. The Holy Spirit may remind you That the way out of temptation is simply by you removing the thing from your life, from your presence that's tempting you. But maybe you can't remove that thing from your life, so then the Holy Spirit may remind you that you actually have to remove yourself from the presence of the thing that tempts you. The idea here is that we have a response to God's promise. He'll provide us a way out. But we have to take the next step. When God provides that way out, we need to act. So let me just be honest and tell you that there are already a lot of ways out of temptation that God has already provided for us in this world. Let me just give you some examples of some temptations and some ways that God has provided a way out. If you're tempted by pornography, Put an internet filter on your computer. Get rid of your smartphone and get a flip phone. Don't watch risque movies. In fact, don't consume media without your spouse if those are areas of temptation. If you find another person attractive enough to indulge in an emotional or a physical affair, then you need to stop that relationship with that person. If you have a shopping or overspending temptation, you and your spouse need to agree on a budget and you need to make sure you're limited In your accessibility to those funds. Don't carry a credit card. Limit yourself to a certain amount of cash. Plan your spending with your spouse. If you're tempted to to misuse alcohol or other substances, find a recovery group, a faith-based recovery group. Get an accountability partner. Even check yourself into rehab. Now, look, what I'm telling you, it's not rocket science. You probably have heard or thought of all of these things, but the reality is this. God has already provided us these ways out of temptation for those specific temptations. But ultimately, it comes down to us making the decision to take that way out To say, hey, I've got a problem. And if I don't deal with this problem, this temptation is going to turn into sin. And I've got to take the responsibility for taking the way out that God has given us. It can be challenging and it can be difficult, but let me tell you, it's going to be less difficult than dealing with the cost if that temptation turns into sin. So God will provide us the way out. Here's something else that God will do, and this comes straight out of Scripture. We're supposed to stay alert recently read a story about Dr. Charlie Fry. He decided that he wanted to take up surfing. And so, he, he decided that he would do everything he could to learn about surfing. He was watching videos on your YouTube about how to start surfing and how to get involved. And, and one of those uh, videos was uh, of pro surfer Mick Fannin, and he was telling people what to do in case they are ever—if they ever encounter a shark or a shark attacks them while they're surfing. Now, uh, Dr. Fry didn't think he'd ever need to use that, but he watched the video. And then he went on vacation to Australia. And and the thing that he thought would never happen, happened. He was blindsided by a shark attack, but he did exactly what he had learned. You know, he, he writes, he goes, at first, I just thought it was one of my surfing buddies who was playing a joke on me. But when I felt that nudge, I turned around and I saw that there was a shark and it was coming up out of the water. And so, I turned and I punched it And then I managed to get on my surfboard as fast as I could and catch a wave and get back into shore. But the thing was, he was prepared. And that preparation allowed him to be alert when danger came. He never expected this to happen, but he was prepared. The Bible tells us this in the book of 1 Peter, stay alert Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You know, the worst thing that followers of Jesus can do is to deny that you could ever be tempted. We've already looked at the truth that all of us will face temptations. The the Bible is clear, listen, that not only will we face temptations, but we're going to fall and make a mistake sometime and sin. Again, that means that we're all susceptible to temptation, but we want to do whatever it takes to protect us from going from temptation to sin. Nothing's wrong with being tempted. It's what we avo- We want to avoid the sin that temptation is a prelude to. So, we need to do whatever it takes to stay alert to how God, how, the, how Satan will Uh, try to make us stumble and fall. And God's Word teaches us over and over what to do. Now, practically speaking, this means in our marriages, we need to be transparent about those weak areas and those temptation areas with our spouse so we can support one another, so we can care for one another. And If our spouse confesses that to us, we need to be loving and accepting and come alongside and help them in that area. If we're not married, we need to find another Christian friend, preferably someone of the same gender, who can hear what we're struggling with, who can accept us, and then can begin to walk with us in life and hold us accountable. Why? We do all of those things to stay alert. So, when it comes to temptation, God has provided us a way out. God has told us to stay alert, but God has also told us something else. In the book of James, we read this verse. He gives us a simple formula for handling temptation. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from me, flee flee from you. So we need to submit and resist. We need to submit ourselves to God, and we need to resist the temptations that come our way from Satan. Now, submitting to God means that we focus ourselves and our lives on following God and following what He's taught us through Jesus. When we do that, We're turning us away from the things that Satan uses to tempt us. We're resisting the devil. We're taking our minds off of the things that could tempt us. And we're putting our minds on the things that won't tempt us. And we're submitting our thoughts to God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he gave them these words of encouragement when it came to what they should think about. And this is what he says. Whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, why is this important? Because it's in our minds, it's in our thoughts where temptations spring up. If we submit our minds to God and think on the things that are true and that are right and that are praiseworthy, then there's less room for all of those temptations to come in and cause problems in our lives. Submitting our thoughts to God is what Paul is talking about when he says this, that we should take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Think about that. Taking our thoughts captive to Christ, uh, uh, taking our thoughts captive means making our thoughts obedient to Christ. Letting our thoughts come under the lordship, the authority of Jesus. The place where temptations arise and give birth to sin is in our brains. When we dwell on thoughts that are not God honoring, when we dwell on things that tempt us, we've already given Satan a point of leverage in our lives so that he can lead us down the path to sin and do damage in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, and in the body of Christ. And so, we need to do whatever it takes to prevent that. You know, the Bible tells us this. When we know what's right to do, and then we don't do it, it's sin. So let's do the right thing. Let's submit ourselves to God, and let's resist the devil. Here's the final thing I want to tell you from Scripture that tells us how we can break up temptation in our lives. Put on your spiritual armor. Put on your spiritual armor. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we read these words. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, the armor of God is an illustration that Paul uses to show us how to defend ourselves from the devil's schemes to tempt us. The armor of God includes these things, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and yes, the sword of the Spirit. Now I want you to notice that most of that armor is to protect you, to defend you from an attack. In fact, the only part of the armor that is for offense is the sword of the Spirit. You know, in sports you often hear a coach say that a good offense starts with a good defense. It's difficult for your opponent to strike you when you don't have a place of weakness in your defense. The armor of God gives you a strong and solid position from which to defend yourself from temptation. So let's just think through the armor of God. So with the belt of truth. Strengthen your knowledge of the truth of God, of the truth of Scripture, and consider how you can use it to defend yourself from Satan's attacks. Think about the the breastplate of righteousness, and then pursue the righteousness of God in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your actions, in your thoughts, in your words. And then you've put up a huge wall of defense from any attacks of temptation. Think about the shoes of the gospel of peace that allow us to take that message of the gospel to others. So when we think about the gospel of peace and we meditate on it and think about how it can permeate everything we think and everything we say, it allows us to put a defense about what's in our head so that Satan can't attack us. Then think about the shield of faith. When we do things to build up our faith, to strengthen our belief in God, to strengthen our ability to believe and follow Him, we are putting up a a huge defense that allows us to combat those temptations and also to continue to grow in faith. And then think about the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is we've all been saved by faith. It's not by anything that we do. It's not by good works. So, uh, putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, reminds us that we're saved by faith and reminds us to do those things that will encourage us in our faith and remind us that even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, even when we fail, We haven't lost the war, even though we've lost the battle. So we can remember that we're saved, not by the things that we do, and we're not damned by the things we can do, that we do. We can be forgiven and restored in our faith to God. So putting on the armor of God allows us to have a defense system to thwart the devil's plans, to attack our relationships and our marriages and everything. And then with the sword of the Spirit... We can use it to combat and fight against what Satan tries to tempt us. Look, the reality is this. There are temptations all around us. Satan wants us to sin. Satan wants us to fall and to walk away from our faith in God. Satan wants us to be destroyed spiritually. He wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy relationships and friendships. He wants to destroy the unity that God wants for His body, the church. He wants to destroy the unity that is in marriage. And He'll do whatever it takes. So we have to come up with a defense. We have to come up with a plan to deal with temptation in our lives. So, how do we deal with temptation, particularly in marriage? Not only do we do all of these things that Scripture tells us to, but listen, we don't hide what tempts us. We talk about it with our spouse. If it's hidden, if it's in the dark, it can have power over us. But when we bring it out into the open, when we bring it out into the light, it has no power over us. And this is also the same truth for those of us who aren't in a marriage relationship. If we have some temptation, some area of sin that we keep hidden in the dark, we don't bring it out into the light by sharing it with another follower of Jesus and ask for them to encourage us, then it has power over us. But when we admit it, when we bring it out into the light, and we ask someone to help us and encourage us, then we can defeat that temptation in our lives. So I want to give you a challenge as I bring this message to a close. And I'm going to give you a challenge if you're married and if you're not married. So if you're married, here's, my, here's the challenge. I want you to, to sit down with your spouse and at, ask and answer this question. Here's the question. In our marriage, where are we currently most vulnerable for spiritual attack? In other words, where are our weak areas of temptation? Where are we most vulnerable from spiritual attack? And then discuss it candidly, openly, and then pray for one another. Resolve to continue to pray for one another. If you're not married, that's fine. The same question is one that you need to wrestle with. You need to ask yourself, where am I most vulnerable in my life for spiritual attack? For spiritual attacks. Where am I most vulnerable to the temptations in my life? And then share that with that fellow Christ follower, and and ask them to encourage you and hold you accountable. It's important that we do this so that we can fight against the temptations that will come our way. So as I wrap up today's message, I want to close in prayer for all of us that we'll be able to deal with the temptations that come our way. But I also want to say this. There may be some of you here or online who say, well, you know, I've never really begun a relationship with Jesus, and so I I need to do that. And so, I'm going to let you do that at the beginning of this prayer. So, I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer to tell Jesus that you believe in Him and want to follow Him, and then I'm going to pray over all of us to be able to do battle against the temptation in our lives. So, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that You love us and that You sent Jesus into the world and into our lives to destroy the power of sin. And that you've also given us a way to deal with temptation. But right now, Lord, I want to pray with anyone who has never professed faith in Jesus but wants to today. And if that's you, just simply where you are, put these words in your own words and and pray them back to God. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. Now continuing in the attitude of prayer, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you do not want Satan and his schemes to destroy us. I thank you that you provided us a promise that we can be victorious over temptation. I thank you that you have given us insight in how to resist temptation and how to submit to you. I thank you that you've told us to stay alert, and I thank you that you've shown us how we actually have spiritual armor that we can put on to defeat the power of Satan and temptation in our world. And in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that we would be able to do that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships, and in our relationships in the body of Christ. And we will give you all the praise and the glory in advance. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.